You're listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served Marble Falls and the greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. For those who find themselves unable to attend on a Sunday morning, we stream those services. Simply visit fbcmf.live during either of our service times to view it. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. Students, did y'all have a great time at Citywide? Man, y'all have a wonderful youth minister, Lane, and uh, we love you, bro, you and Haley, and um, all of you who have served throughout the weekend to be a host home or to bring food or to be a driver. Y'all, thank you so much for for helping Citywide to be a success this year. Um, We are in a sermon series where we are holding the light of Scripture up to some of our basic behaviors and basic thought processes to examine them, to reflect on them and to test and see whether or not they they help or hurt our commitment to Jesus Christ. And because some of these basic behaviors and thought processes um, resemble some of the popular games that we play, we are calling these sermons the games that we play. And so far we have looked at Operation Trouble, Monopoly, and Battleship. And this morning, we are going to look at the game Jenga to help us to consider what it takes to build and sustain a stable and healthy kind of life throughout years, not just years, but decades of stress and decades of difficulty that come in our life. We have to develop this. The Lord Jesus wants you to have a life that's stable of making it through stressful seasons of life. Jenga was invented in 1983, and it's a game that is played all over. It's not just played in people's homes, but it's played in restaurants, and and it's played in pubs, and it's played all over the place. It it was invented by a woman named Leslie Scott, and uh, Leslie Scott is an English woman, but she grew up in Ghana, Africa, And when she was growing up, she learned Swahili and was fluent in Swahili. And when she invented this game, the name Jenga had an interesting origin. Here's where it came from. There's a Swahili word which she knew called Kajenga, and it meant to build. And so she borrowed that Swahili word, Kajenga, to build, and she shortened it to Jenga. And so that's what she named her game as we build um, the tower and try to sustain the stability of the Jenga wooden tower. Um, She created her own publishing company to publish it, and then later on it was bought out by Milton Bradley and then later Hasbro. And uh, today they say that Jenga has sold 80 million games. Um, Now, I wonder, it's not a game that's played as much as Monopoly and, and some of those, but I wonder how many of you have a Jenga set? The, almost all the kids do. The, the, so y'all are a part of the 80 million. Y'all have the Jenga games. Uh, you know what? You could even get a Jenga game that's life-size. I mean, they're huge towers, and you can build a life-size 
Jenga, not just a small one. The true skill when you play it is in the end, isn't it? When, when everything is kind of teetering and, and, and you have to be very, very careful. The beginning of the game isn't so hard. Man, it's the end, though, that's pretty difficult. If you don't know how to play, it's simple. You have a little tower that's made of wooden planks, and you play against somebody, and each one of you take turns, and you try to pull out a wooden plank, and, and, and it's going to cause destabilization in the wooden tower, and so you try to pull out one that's not going to cause it to crash, and you put it on top, and the person who pulls out the one that causes the whole tower to fall down and crash, you lose. And, and as you think about that game, I have a very, very simple question that I'd like for all of you to ask yourself. Do you have a stable life? A stable life, and by stable, um, this is what I mean. Number one, here's the first one. Three questions of a stable life. Do you biblically, maturely, and rationally, um, do you think biblically, maturely, and rationally in order to create for yourself and the people you're responsible for a faithful and a peaceful life? It's faithful to God, and it's peaceful. If you find that you're in arguments all the time, if you find yourself in arguments with people and you're always frustrated and no matter what you're arguing, if you are the common denominator in a lot of those arguments, guess what? Then you're not the one bringing peace. It may be that you have a very unstable kind of a life. Um, do you think about these things? Do you plan out what you're going to do and say and be in a stable kind of way? Here's another one. Number two is this. Question two, do you control your emotions or do your emotions control you? Um, there are people who are, um, have these compulsions and they follow them and they're reactionary to almost anything. Something happens in their life and they just respond and react without thinking, all out of emotion. Nothing is in check. Nothing is evaluated. Where, where anytime emotion dominates your reaction to everything, um, if, you're, if you're told that you need to do something and it makes you mad, or if you're told not to do something and that makes you mad and just emotionally you cannot handle authority in your life or you cannot handle being told what to do, then you have a problem with stability at the emotional level. And here is another one um, that marks instability. Question number three, do you make the kinds of decisions that produce a harvest in your life or do you continually make decisions that are creating many negative consequences for yourself? Now, as y'all think about all of these, um, I have a message this morning that some of you have been waiting for for a long, long time because your life might feel like it's very often on the edge, where, where your life feels like you're teetering and wavering, and if somebody just pulled one more, just one more little bitty thing from your life, if you lost another thing, if somebody said one more thing to you, you are on the edge and you're about to explode. Something is happening where you can't lose one more little part or your life feels like it is going to crash down all around you because you are on the edge. Have y'all ever met people who just live kind of on the edge all the time? Do, do you feel like, do any of you feel like your life lives kind of on this edge where you're teetering and you're just praying when you wake up in the morning, I just hope God that this is a good day because, if, because I can't take one more thing that happens. Maybe though that that's not you at all. Maybe where many of you are this morning is 
You don't live on this kind of ragged edge, but you have friends who do, or you have related, uh, people related to you do, and, and you know all of these people who just seem to live their life from crash to crash. Their life is like a huge roller coaster where they build up and then they crash again and they build up and they crash again. They are, they're prone to drama and, and, and they're prone to crashing and getting mad. Um, y'all may not know anybody like that. I know a couple uh, people who live from crash to crash and that instability is, is really hurting their life. They can't ever seem to be consistent they're either way, way too high or they're way too low. And it's either you talk to them and something is always, always an issue. You ask them how they're doing and they never are like, man, I'm okay. No, it's always something for them. If y'all have people like that in your life, how do you minister to them? What do you say to them to help balance them out a little bit and bring stability to their life? I, I believe that the word of God and I believe that I have witnessed over and over again that when somebody truly follows Jesus Christ as their Lord, it not only saves their soul for heaven, but it stabilizes their life. I, I, I have seen this. When you commit your life to Christ, it may not make you healthy and wealthy, but it will get you off of the roller coaster. It'll do that. Our Savior God cares whether you have a stable Life, stability is highly, highly important. And I'm gonna tell you why. In fact, um, I'd like to suggest that stability is either synonymous or linked directly with our salvation. That when we receive salvation from God, what he is also doing in our life is bringing us to this place of stability. God sent Jesus to bring stability. And I know it sounds odd, but I think this is something that started way, way back at the beginning in Genesis 1, verse 2. In the beginning of Genesis, it says, Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then God said, Let there be light. That is not only a passage talking about God making something from nothing. It is that, but it's more than that. This is also a picture of God bringing stability and order and organization and calmness and peace to something that was chaotic and unstable, where a chemist will say that you can have an atom or you can have something that's very unstable and if you mix the wrong thing in it, everything is going to explode. It is an unstable kind of a thing. And, and what Genesis is saying is that early on in our world, the world was unstable, and that God began to form it and bring the stability in his very creation of all of it. The Hebrew words that's used are formless and void. The Hebrew words are tahu and vabahu. And they're used in other passages of scripture as well that seem to indicate that something is not functioning right. There's something dysfunctional and there's something odd and there is something that's falling apart and it needs to be braced up. It needs some kind of stability. It's used often in terms of the chaos of a wilderness area where if you go into the wilderness, there are wild beasts who will come and eat you and there is no house to hide from. You can't get away from them. It's just a crazy kind of accidental place where if you survive, it's going to be barely surviving. 
It's also used, these words are used for a city that lies in ruins where after an army comes in and devastates a city and all of the buildings lie broken out on the ground like a a, a wooden Jenga uh, um, tower that is broken and it's all laying out. Um, This is the idea of not having form and not having void in the Old Testament. And so what God does is he takes the broken down towers and he takes the broken down structures and the pieces and he begins to put it all back together and give us stability. Ever since the moment in Genesis 1, God has been stabilizing the unstable. All passages of scripture about the sovereignty of God, the rulership of God, the reign of God, the power of God, all of them are set against a backdrop of a world that is unstable without peace and without hope. It is to that situation that Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And so when Jesus comes in, what he does is he continues the theological, practical work of the Father by bringing stability to all of the things that that sin made unstable. And so when Jesus comes into our life, he takes every little moment of dysfunction, which all of us have, man, some of of your families put the fun in dysfunctional, right? We we, we have these things in our life where it's, it's not right. We don't function well, we don't communicate well. Maybe that was passed on to you from generations. When somebody says something to you, you do not know how to communicate well, dysfunctional. Some of you don't know how to have a good relationship with somebody that's mature and solid because you're selfish in the relationship. It's all about you and your ego. That is dysfunction in relationships. Dysfunction in so many things. When you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, he wants to speak into every little dysfunction in your life and stabilize it and make it ordered and make it better. How does that sound, y'all? Doesn't that sound like a great salvation? for the things that you're embarrassed about that are not working out well for your life, that God cares about these things and wants to stabilize it. I want you to notice in Psalm 62, I'll have it here on the screen, how the words salvation and stability begin to go hand in hand. Look at this, he is my rock, and here's the word salvation, rock and salvation, stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. God saves us by stabilizing us in the middle of an unstable world. And so part of accepting Christ, y'all, is not only, it's not only that your soul reach up to heaven and that if you died today, you would go to be with the Lord when you died. It is primarily that, but y'all, it's not only that. John 10, 10 said that Jesus came in order that you might have life abundant and full. God wants your life to be a stabilized kind of life as well. In the New Testament, in Romans, it says, now to him who is able to establish you by his gospel. The word establish means to to make something solid um, and make it immovable. Like, Like if you've ever dug a post hole and you get a big post and you put it in the hole and you fill it with cement and you let it dry and man, you can go and push and push and you can't knock it over. It is a stabilized kind of concreted in post. God wants you to be a strong concreted in person who is concreted into the will of God. 
So when he says, this is my will for you, he wants us to be, have concrete forming around us, established deeply into what he calls us to do and what he calls us to be. And then we are stable in that. And so God, God concretes us into his will, which makes us steadfast and it gives us peace. And here are just a couple implications of the stability that the Lord wants you to bring. So the question is, well, so what? What does it mean for my life? Here is a huge, huge one. That when you accept Christ and he gives you his stability and you live in that stability, it does this. It makes you the kind of person who is dependable. Dependable. When Jesus makes you his and you do not live a selfish life, you become dependable. You're dependable when you live for Christ in your marriage because you won't have an affair. You are dependable. If any of you have ever tried to depend on an unstable person, y'all know how frustrating that can be. I had a, a friend in college who was exceedingly unstable. Uh, he rarely showed up to class. He would call us at all hours of the day and night because his car would run out of gas somewhere around Abilene. He, he, he had issues all the time with stuff. I mean, he would. Y'all know what, if you ever run out of gas, that is irresponsible. That's what I think. It's not good. I, I had a vehicle and, and, and my gas gauge was broken for a decade and I didn't run out of gas. Yeah, I, yeah, I knew. My, the truck got 350 miles on a tank of gas and I watched the odometer and I do the odometer thing and when it got to about 300, go put gas in the truck. It's not rocket science. You don't have to run out of gas. Especially if you're in college, you don't run out of gas. Especially. This dude, it's not like it just happened to him a couple times. I mean, he's calling us often. Hey, come get me. I'm out here on Ambler near the bingo hall. Come get me. I, I, I run out of gas. Unstable, man. So I have one class with this joker. And, and, and the professor has a, a project and everybody has a partner. Guess who's my partner? Run out of gas, guys. <laughs> Mr. I can't come to class for a month because my girlfriend broke up with me. That's who. <laughs> Unstable people are not dependable. They can't keep a secret. They gossip about you. They don't make any positive contribution to anything. They're unstable. Other people are always having to fix and go behind them and fix what they do. And, and here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, Jesus wants to come into your life in such a way that you become an immovable, dependable person so that people can lean against you. If nobody can lean against you, what good? What good are you doing? You have to be capable of, of being so stable that when other people have needs, they can rely and depend on you. In the church, we are called to be a community. And I know this, that if we're called to be a community as First Baptist Marble Falls, all of us together, we have to be the kind of community where one person can lean on another. But if we're all falling apart, if none of us are stable, what kind of a church of Jesus Christ are we gonna be? And God gives you the Holy Spirit we can be stable. 
We can be dependable. Here's another one, and I love this one. God also wants you to be stable so that you will not fall apart when difficult things happen. Not if, but when difficult things happen and when great stress comes upon your life. When your life goes sideways and it was unexpected and you didn't know it was going to happen, are you able to keep moving on? And let me draw a distinction. In your life, it is okay to be disappointed, but Christians, it is not okay to be devastated. You cannot let your life fall apart when God gives you the spirit to stand strong and to have perspective about things. I want to tell y'all about um, one of our youth who I'm exceedingly proud of because I believe that he's very, very stable. A few weeks ago, um, during our very first football game that we had here in Marble Falls, um, Braden Whiteside suffered a concussion. He didn't want it. He didn't expect it. It's his senior year, and his team is good. They're doing well. And he gets hit, and, and, and then he finds out the bad news, and then they keep holding it out, then hold it out more. And let me say this. I think it's very smart to hold somebody out if they demonstrate a concussion, because I'm, I'm one of the crazy people who believes a brain is more important than anything else, and uh, y'all are with me in that, and I'm very thankful that, that football today and that our coaches today and everybody really cares about things like that. We care about it, and I'm, gra- and I'm glad because you, you, you men know when we were playing football, they didn't care about those types of things. I mean, not, not even the little, a little bit. They would make us hit head to head with cheap helmets that they found like in, in, in a garage somewhere. And, and, and I mean, there were concussions everywhere, but you didn't know it. We didn't talk about it ever. Um, when I was in high school, I was playing football for Port Isabel and we were in the playoffs and we played Rockport Fulton and Rockport Fulton had a guy named Dat Wynn that was playing. Dat Wynn. He played for Texas A&M, and then he played for, you got to pause if you ever mentioned that school, Um, and then he played for the Dallas Cowboys. That win hit me so hard, I don't remember my sophomore year. I, I came off the field, and I didn't know my name, and they said, look good to us. Get on back in there. Go get them. I, I want you students to know, if you ever wonder what's wrong with your dads, y'all give us a break. <laughs> you, you, you lay off of us because, man, we, we played concussion ball, and y'all don't even know. But back to the main story. So this guy is out for two games his senior year, and he even had to miss the Burnett game, which we won, and it was exciting. And, but here's my point. Here's my point. I think that there are a lot of people who would have been in his situation, and, and it would have devastated them. Braden was disappointed, but he wasn't devastated. And the reason he wasn't devastated is because I believe this, that Braden Whiteside's life is established deeply and firmly into the person of Jesus Christ. And I've seen it, and, I, and he comes back from youth camp, and he comes back from a mission trip, and he knows where his stability comes from. 
And even if he lost a lot of things in his life, there is a stability and a maturity that comes from Christ that he's given to him. That stability helps you to stand solid without going crazy, without some kind of emotional breakdown. God cares about your stability, not just where you're going to go to heaven. He wants this for you. And not only in the little things, but y'all, even when somebody dies in your life, the Apostle Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, he said, uh, even if someone dies, you are to mourn, but not mourn as people who have no hope. You can be disappointed, but not devastated. There is a strong stability that comes in this life with the Lord. And the greatest implication is this, and I'm through. The greatest implication of all of it is when Jesus Christ takes away the sin of your life, when he, dies, he died on the cross, and when you give your life to him and he takes all the sin of your life onto himself, what happens is now you have the stability to stand before the throne of God with confidence, unmovable, unshaken, stand before the throne. You could not, and I could not have done that on our own. The grace of God is what gives us the stability before God. The grace gives us that, and I love this because our world believes that everything is accidental and up for grabs and that random chaos wins. Those ideas have become mainstream and dominant, and, and it's in the middle of all of this that Christians like us dare to suggest that God has spoken stability and peace and purpose into our world, and that when we are planted in Christ, then we can stand with confidence before the throne of God. We dare to suggest such a thing in the middle of all of the people who say that everything is random and accidental. The writer of Hebrews in chapter six says, this hope we have in Christ, that he has anchored us in our soul. He has. Sin unstabilizes. Jesus Christ re-stabilizes. To find salvation in the Lord is to discover for the first time for many people, stability in the choices they make and how they operate, stability. It's kind of like this. If you were playing a Jenga game and, and you were to take out all of you know, the pieces until finally it crashes, here's, here's what the life is like. So there's your life and somebody goes and takes a a piece out, and it was already fairly fragile. It was already kind of barely there, and then somebody takes a piece out, and we think, oh my goodness, hope he doesn't take anything else out, and there he goes again, and then the, we fall. Are, are any of you at a point where if the world takes away one more piece, one more piece, and you're just gonna explode? Like men, you go to work and they take away piece after piece of your energy and your vision and, and all of your heart and mind and so you go home to your family and you have nothing else to give to your family because everything in your work took away all the pieces of your energy and your life or, or ladies. If, if you offer so much to all of the people around you and then it seems like they just take piece after piece and even through all of it, you're still never caught up. You're always behind, always behind. You can never get above the surface. And in all of that, the piece by piece taken, 
and our life falls crash, the only thing that can happen is for God to come in and start beginning to put the pieces back. And so here's what the Lord does. Here's what it's like. So there we are, crashed. And then the Lord puts it back and whoosh. Our life comes back to order and it comes back to stability. Psalms 127 that Courtney Richard read earlier said, unless the Lord builds your house, you're gonna labor in vain. And there are people who try to labor in all kinds of ways, thinking that they're gonna build their life out of success and money and pleasure, and their life always crashes, always crashes. Only a life that is founded deeply in Christ, building it up is going to last. You labor in vain, you labor in vain unless you allow the Lord to do it. To give your life to Christ today and, and in him, and, and here is what it's like. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. You've been listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.